Get ready, it's time for Motorsports Madness, powered by the staff at Race Chaser Online. Your motorsports, your way, every day. And now, here's your host, Jacob Seelman. What's up? Welcome to another two hours of motorsports conversation here on the Performance Motorsports Network. And I, for one, am glad to be back inside the Race City USA PMN studios. Though it was fun being down in Pensacola, Florida last weekend, it was a little weird not to be here. So, I have my roundtable back. Life is good. I am joined on this edition of Motorsports Madness by Tom Baker and Cisco Scaramuza. All of us are from RacechaserOnline.com, where we give you your motorsports your way every day. And though we are coming off the 50th annual Snowball Derby, that's not where we're going to start. Though we will get to that over the course of the next two hours. Where we're going to start is actually chronologically the first motorsports-related thing that happened in the sequence of the last five days or so. Tom, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Awards Show from Las Vegas this past Thursday night. And, well, not going to lie, it was awesome seeing Martin Truex Jr. collect all his money and his trophies and his awards and all that fun stuff. But... This was just awkward, and it had nothing to do with any of the drivers. Oh, am I supposed to talk now? I was waiting for you to finish setting that up. Okay. That, uh, that, that was the setup. Hi, everybody, and well, <laughs> welcome uh, back to the show here. And I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I will clarify that I actually own the roundtable. Just saying. Ha, um, ha, ha. Okay, so, yeah, it was awkward. For those of you who did not watch the banquet or haven't seen the highlights, NASCAR CEO Brian France was, let's just say, was a little, it was strange behavior. He multiple times kind of hustled off the stage as if he just didn't want to be up there. And I think the most glaring situation was when he went to give Martin Truex Jr. his ring and he about threw it to him. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. it, he reached for him here and, and just sort of hurried off the stage. I don't know what the, the situation was, but it, let's put it this way. It was not really the best, shall we say, etiquette that, no. that uh, Brian France could have displayed, it, and it was kind of uncomfortable. I mean, when you look at it from the standpoint, Cisco, of him being the, he's the guy for NASCAR, mm. you know, he, and it was, as Jacob said, it was kind of awkward a couple of times, even with Junior. Um, he barely shook his yeah, hand. I mean, it just. It was like he just didn't want to be up on the stage at all, and, and I'm not really too sure what was going on, but it definitely did not make for a great presentation. It was far from a great presentation, and Cisco, to be quite frank, Martin Truex may have had the best reaction of all when Brian, when Brian just handed him the ring and left without even shaking his hand. He left a stunned Martin Truex standing there like, uh... What? Yeah. There you go. Like, like me when Here you just go. stole my point five seconds ago, but Oh no. That one that one fell. That one fell. It didn't work. Well we're 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 trying to go for a couple more jokes, but nonetheless, it was very awkward and it felt to me like watching it, I was like, 
what did they serve at the banquet? Did did he have to like run to the restroom afterwards or something? <laughs> What's going on? Because he keeps that would be off a good stage. explanation. I don't I don't know what it was, but he just seemed very uncomfortable for whatever reason. And you know, I I hate to you know dwell on it too much, but. Brian hasn't exactly had the greatest track record when it comes to presentations in the past, lest we forget the whole Camping World Craftsman Truck Series thing that may have happened in the past. Oh, yeah, well, that's yeah. true. But, you know, yeah, it just and, – and you're right. I, I think that moment of – I mean, he he hit – he reached he, – when he gave Martin his ring, it wasn't as if Martin was standing right next to him. He had to basically extend his arm almost all the way out to reach Martin to give him the ring. And then he just sort of hustled off stage. It just, it did. It looked very, very awkward and forced might was the word I was going to use. I mean, forced. Well, you know, it just, uh, Cisco said it right. He looked very uncomfortable. I'm not really too sure what was going on there, but um, it did make for obviously some social media banter. And, um, you know, overall though, it was, as you said, Jacob, to sort of move away from Brian mm-hmm. France. It certainly was great to see Martin get all the accolades. It was great to see him in junior. It was great to see um, he and Sherry. Um, you know, all of the, the various parts. Uh, to me, this was just a year that was meant to be for Martin and Sherry and that whole team. And obviously it was also about in large part about junior. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there were a lot of things about that banquet that were very good to see and well done as opposed to the few moments we just discussed. Yes, and I want to get to one of the specific accolades Yes, in Martin's case that I felt was really important and really well deserved, and that was the awarding of the annual National Motorsports Press Association Myers Brothers Award that yes. is given out every year at the Myers Brothers luncheon prior to the awards ceremony. And Martin and Sherry Pollux, his longtime girlfriend, were honored with this year's Myers Brothers Award for outstanding contributions and philanthropy to the sport for all their work with the fight against pediatric cancer, ovarian cancer, all the work that both of them have done with the MTJ Foundation. Uh, Tom, I said it before the show, and I stand by what I said. Martin's performance this season on track was only exceeded by his charitable efforts off track. I mean, this is a couple and this is a team that does everything in their power to help the world first and worry about racing second. And I feel like this was a perfect, perfect choice to honor that. Well, I totally agree. Um, you know, it, it always blows me away the amount of charity that these NASCAR guys do. And as you said, Martin and Sherry and really that whole team are involved in so many different things that it's just amazing. And it's so awesome to be a part of a sport that is so family oriented. People, you know, ask all the time, why do you like racing so much? Well, it it isn't a sport. It's a lifestyle. And it's really yes. all about the family and the people. Yes. You know, most of my closest friends are from the sport in some sort of way. And. You know, it's just one of those situations where you look at something like this and you say, you know what, that represents me. That represents our sport very well, Cisco, and I think that it was a totally appropriate choice for that award. 
And I, I like to put that in kind of the frame that Jonathan Bird II, who runs the Indianapolis Speedrome, he always has a great comment about that, which is this is family entertainment. This is what this is. Yes. You know, racing at the end of the day, it's the fans that drive the sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, nowhere I think is that more prevalent in professional sports today than in auto sport. I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I really sure. would. I mean, it's, as you said, Tom, one big family yeah. all the way around. Yep. Yep. Now, with that, I'm going to transition to one of Tom's favorite phrases. Please hold while I pull out my E-Trade baby shock face for the fact <gasps> that Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins the NMPA Most Popular Driver Award <gasps> for the 15th consecutive year. You're kidding me. Nope. I heard he's already won it next year, too. <laughs> well, I would say you're probably right, except for the fact that he's retired, so he's and, ineligible. I mean, you know, what do you say? He won it posthumously? Well, not really. You know, yeah, I was going to say he's not how dead. Do you, how do you, you know, how do you award that? Uh, now I, I thought Kyle Busch won it, to be honest. <laughs> Ooh. Really? Well, uh, yeah, well, he he did he did say something about that later on, which was hilarious. If you caught that comment, <laughs> it was like he, I want to thank uh, Dale Jr. for converting uh, converting all the Junior Nation fans to uh, Bush Nation. Which got a <laughs> a uh, awkward but so also slightly like. Self-deprecating laugh from the audience. It was fantastic. Well, there's another Kyle Busch comment that I'll get to I, in a second he, here. I'm, I'm not sure Kyle Busch is the most popular driver at Thanksgiving dinner, to be honest with you. But, huh. um, no, it's you know what? It, look, I mean, obviously Dale was going to win it again, and it was his final season. And, you know, I think it really is a testament to the fact that, okay, yes, he's an Earnhardt. I don't believe for one second that's why he was the most popular driver. His personality, the way that he gave back to the sport, the way he treated his fans, um, you know, his temperament, all of those things have combined together to make him as popular as he he was and is. And although he won't win the award again next year, he's going to be no less popular around the garage and throughout the sport. And he's still going to be involved in multiple ways, including on the track for one or two Xfinity starts. So, you know, he's not totally going away. But, uh, yeah, pretty pretty much of a non-story there. Uh, I think the, you know, the big question starts to become, you know, what odds does Vegas lay that Chase Elliott becomes the perennial most popular driver award winner going from 218 forward? And, you know, you'd think all he I would got be the to favorite. S- but yeah. All I got to say is. Never know. His father won it 16 times. Yeah. Um, I- including most of the time that Dale Sr. was racing. Uh-huh. So, you know, I mean, if you think about that. But, um, you know, it's, it is going to be interesting. And there, there's such a a great crop of young racers coming yes. in. Yeah. They're really, it's really be is. fun to, to see who, who becomes the fan favorites next year. Indeed. We'll look ahead to some things coming up later in this show right now. We're going to step away. And when we come back, we're going to talk to the first of our two special guests on this edition of Motorsports madness. Cole Custer from Stuart Haas racing joins us after this to talk about, Hey, winning at Homestead. We haven't had him on since he won at Homestead in dominant fashion. He'll tell us how he did it. Well, kind of. When we come back, you're listening to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. You own a performance car and you know how to drive, but you want to learn real performance driving. 
Well, Bunky, get that car off the street and onto the track. Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier road racing facility, located just over an hour from D.C. in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, is the place to go. And you'll find that Friday at the track is going to give you what you need. For less than a monthly car payment, you can attend this regularly scheduled one-day instructional event in your street car on one of Summit Point's three world-class road racing circuits. You'll receive classroom instruction, skid pad instruction in their cars, including front and rear skid control, and four 20-minute in-your-car instructional sessions from a professional instructor. Have fun, go fast, and really learn how to drive. Call 304-725-8444 for class schedules and details. That's 304-725-8444. Friday at the track at Summit Point Motorsports Park. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Here's an important message from Rad and this station. Hi, this is Bob Sheehan from Blues Traveler for Rad, recording artists against drunk driving. I like to party just as much as the next guy, maybe even more. But the one thing I won't do after I've had a few is get in the car and drive. Don't blow it. Always choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives and so should you. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. Hi, I'm Matt Tift, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to the Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman alongside Tom Baker and Cisco Scaramuza as we uh, talk racing for about two hours here tonight and joined now by our first special guest of the evening via the Race Chaser Hotline, the dominant force of the NASCAR Xfinity Series finale at Homestead Miami Speedway. And we know he's not going to give away any trade secrets, but Cole Custer, you spanked him, son. I, I, I'm just going to tell it like it is. That was absolute domination. And I feel like the good. I went back and listened to your Victory Lane interview today. I feel like it even surprised you a little bit just exactly how good that car was. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a crazy day, really. I mean, uh, 
one of those days that just don't really happen that often. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to it. Uh, take us back a little bit, and that race played out. Uh, you were waiting all season, really, for it to play out like this. And finally, all the pieces, it seemed like, fell together. It was kind of a magic night when you think about it. It's not really often uh, that a race goes that perfectly. I mean, what was it like from the driver's seat to have a car that good? Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy, honestly. I mean, it was to have a car fast enough where you can not run 100% and try and save your tires and save your car and try and be there at the end and still be pulling away from people is really uh, is really hard to find. So, I mean, I think uh, it was uh, one of those times where you're just wondering what's going to go wrong, kind of, you know, one of those late race cautions and you get something on, you know, pitch strategy goes wrong or something like that. So it's just, you're really just looking for something to go wrong. But I couldn't believe it went green for the last uh I think 110 laps or so, and it was, I mean, just like you said, like a perfect night for us, and really uh, couldn't believe it. How tough did it make it? Homestead's a difficult track to begin with, but to go 110 green flag laps to close that race, I mean, you talk about Florida in November, it had to be a little bit grueling the longer that run went behind the wheel. Uh, I would say maybe a little bit, but it was... Uh, it was a fairly cool night, so it wasn't too bad. But uh, you definitely, by the by about like lap twenty or so, you're screaming for tires. That's the biggest yeah. thing. I mean, it's uh, it really eats up tires. So you're you're looking for tires at about lap one, which is uh, what was so great about our car is that I could save my tires. And even though we uh, you know, we ran so many laps, we were one of the better cars at the end of the run just because we were. Uh, I was able to save my tires the whole run. It's really interesting, Cole, that we've had you on the show a number of times this year, and it seems like every time we've had you on, it's been in a situation where you've just come off within a race or two previous to your appearance with us, come off a run where it looked like you had a good shot to win, didn't quite get there. And there were so many points in the year where I can remember feeling like, okay, the next race has got to be Cole's. And it took all the way to the end. You got the last race. You got out. In the midst of your celebration, it looked like you almost sort of half slipped coming back down from sort of standing on top of the car like you almost slipped down on the car. Is that what happened? Or was did you just have a little moment of being tired there? Because it almost looked like you, uh, you, you, you kind of had a foot start to come out from under you there. I think it's just I haven't done it in a while. It's uh, it's been a while. It's been about I think it was two and a half years to that day. So it was it was uh, something I haven't done in a while. And just those shoes were definitely not made to stand on a slippery <laughs> race car covered in Gatorade. So it was uh, it was uh, definitely a little bit embarrassing getting out of the car and slipping all over the place for sure. Eh, uh, your boss has had a few of those embarrassing moments over the course of his career. I'm t- I'm sure Tony just laughed it off with you, didn't he? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely something you just laugh off. Okay, so you got you got the first Xfinity win out of the way, although it took you the whole season to to finally be able to put two and two together and get get it done. Um, does this give you a good shot of momentum going through the winter now that you can you won the last race by a totally dominant fashion and you can carry that with you into Daytona in eighteen? Yeah, for sure. I mean. Uh... 
when you end the season with a win, and especially since it took the whole season, it really gives you some confidence going into the next year and what what you're doing and what you've really been trying to go for the whole season and not and knowing that you don't have to change a ton going into the next year. So it's just uh, it's definitely been a, a real building season, a lot of learning, and it's uh, it's definitely everybody's really you know pumped on our team that we're you know able to accomplish our goal this year and. I think uh, we're definitely good enough to run for a championship next year, so that's our that's our plan. And, and Cole, you know, you have the off season now to kind of savor this win. It's a little bit special because you don't have to hop in a race car here for a couple months. So, does that allow you guys to kind of savor it a little bit more, carry it with you? You know, Tom mentioned into the twenty eighteen season, but kind of beyond that, just you know, personally and just kind of. In general, do you get to just be like, "Hey, I won last last race"? Yeah, I mean it's uh it's definitely cool to I mean have a you know a couple months off after your final race and you won it. So it's I mean it's cool to have that feeling, but definitely by when January comes around, you'll be ready to you know get back in a car again. So it's uh it's definitely a really good thing for our team to end the season like that and. Uh, I'm just looking forward to next year. I think it, it really does give you a shot of confidence going into the next year that you can do it. And uh, I am curious, one more thing, and it, we talked a little bit about it last week in, in regards to uh, where trophies are being kept after you win races. Where are you putting this one? Oh, right now it's still at the shop. I mean, I don't uh, I don't really have much uh, room for it at my apartment, so I don't know what to really do with it. But I think uh, we're, I'm just keeping it at the shop right now and, uh, all the guys can have it right now. I'm not too worried about it. Okay, so off-season time can be it can be a time for training. Um, we talk a lot on our shows about uh, fitness and different types of training regimens the drivers have. What is off-season training like for you? What types of uh, things do you do to keep yourself fit? Well, we were actually uh, we just started it today. We, uh, me, Chase Briscoe, and Ty Majeski are trying to work out together and. Uh, Oh, there's Dan a Jensen and trying trio. to, yep. So we're trying to really get better this year, get in better shape, better mental shape, and just overall just try and make ourselves better for that the last little bit that we can get out of ourselves. So that's uh, that's our plan over the off season. Unfortunately, I I couldn't really do much on our first day because I was kind of sick, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't I couldn't participate too much. But uh, um, but we'll uh, start next weekend next week and trying to you know, get better over the off season. Yeah. We heard you were kind of under the weather. You were supposed to be in the studio with us. We, uh, you, you owe us one. We look forward to having you in the studio as soon as we can get you here then. Yeah, I know. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could have made it. I'm just, uh, it's definitely been a rough few days for me. Now. I hear you. I had it for about four weeks. I sure do hope you feel better soon. As far as looking ahead towards 2018 Cole obviously this year was really a building year for Stuart Haas with the manufacturer changeover to Ford but you guys ended so strong with Harvick being able to run for a championship on the cup side you guys getting the win on the Xfinity side I mean what kind of uh, atmosphere what kind of feeling is it in the shop knowing that you guys really found a place where you've started to perform strong and and peak at the end of this season and how do you keep that going into 2018 uh, knowing that uh, you're going to have to be working the whole off season to make sure you're getting better and getting ready for Daytona yeah I mean I think the biggest thing is that we're kind of the point now where we know what we want to run we know what we uh 
what we excel at and what you know what we need to get better at too so it's just you have your whole program set up and you just try and get a little by little better it's not like you're making huge changes or doing anything major i wouldn't say you're just trying to get the little things better and you have your notes to fall back on that you can kind of look at and say maybe this was better maybe this is worse so i mean it's just little things like that i mean you look at the cup guys they end but you're really strong too and i think uh those, there's no reason why you know both uh teams at Stuart Hawes can't really uh compete for championships next year are you happy overall with the way that your season played out? I mean, when you when you look back over the whole season, are you content with what you accomplished? I'm pretty I'm pretty content with it. I mean, for the start of the year, I really didn't know what to expect at all. I mean, with uh, being a new team, a rookie driver, and a rookie crew chief, and uh, I didn't have the best year last year, so it was kind of up in there on you know how we were going to do. So I mean, it was uh, for having all those question marks. It was definitely uh, nice to really you know, show everybody that we can have speed and win races and do stuff like what we want to. So it's, uh, it was definitely a, a really good year. Obviously it, it could have been a little bit better if we just would have made it through Phoenix on, in the playoffs and been the homestead, but it was, uh, it was a, uh, definitely a great year for us. So tight there at the end with you it and was. that was so close. I mean, that, uh, that had to be just so hard to, to realize that you got that close and just didn't quite make it. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. I mean you try and you give it all you have, and you know sometimes you just don't don't you know sometimes it just doesn't work out really. I mean you, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything different really. I think uh, it is what it is, and I think uh, you know there's no better way that we could have ended the season with a win after that. Absolutely. And Cole, I was curious. You know, you guys are going to be getting a little bit of help in terms of the team department with the '98. You know, coming into the whole family of Stuart Haas cars down in Xfinity. You know, there's still a lot of moving parts, but kind of for you, what what does that mean for you? Does it is it another guy you can help bounce off ideas? Is it another car that you're going to be helping out? What's kind of the dynamic that you're seeing right now? Uh, I think it's just a good thing overall. I mean, I think it's going to help me driving wise where i can talk to somebody and see what they're doing and what i can do better or where they can do better you know so just bouncing ideas off each other that way and then also i mean the team you know working setup wise together i mean it's gonna help us a lot to bounce ideas off each other that way too so i mean it's uh overall i think it's gonna be better whenever we run two cars and i think uh it's definitely for the best for us for sure it's gonna be a, a huge help to us i think Cole, really quickly before we let you go, as always, want to give you a chance to thank all the partners and people that made it possible for you this season. Who do you need to give a shout out to? Yeah, I have to thank Gene Hobbs and Hobbs Animation. I mean, I couldn't wouldn't be here without them and everybody at Ford. It's been a it's been a crazy and great year with them. I mean, they've uh, we've definitely come a long ways and they've helped us a ton. And uh, everybody at the shop at Stuart Hawes and Code Three Associates, everybody that makes you know helps us go around. But uh, it's definitely been a great year for us. Always fun to have you on, and uh, definitely going to take you up on that rain check to get you back in here soon, Cole. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. That's Cole Custer, and we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to another member of the Ford family, soon-to-be member of the Ford family, in the NASCAR Xfinity Series because Kaz Grala joins us after this to talk about his step-up to the number two series and joining JGL Racing for 2018. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, and we're back after this on the Performance Motorsports Network. 
Do you love the sound of high revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skill levels new to intermediate to get sideways and smoking. With a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively, Summit Point Motorsports Park's Drift Nirvana is just the thing for you. Call for your reservation today, 304-725-8444. Or for more information, go online, summitpoint-raceway.com, or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America, featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even Racecom Radio Kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing, making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop into HMS Motorsport. Visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you. What an awesome game. What's up with your car? I don't know. It won't start. How are we getting home? Chill. My parents signed me up for the roadside assistance from Lewis Meineke. It was free with my oil change. They'll come and get the car started or get us home and tow the car to the shop. Good to know. With my driving, my parents never know what to expect. When you join the Meineke Car Care Club with a $35 preferred service, you get four free months of roadside assistance, including tire change, battery jump, lockout service, towing, and more. Contact Lewis Meineke located on Route 1 or call 827-2054. When do you think of a plumber? Like most people, even if it's an emergency, you can be confident about who will arrive to help you. For quality and reliability, count on someone you can trust. Call on the plumbing services of Hague Quality Water of Maryland. Plumbing doesn't have to be an emergency. We handle all kinds of preventative maintenance, too. Hague Quality Water of Maryland is family-owned here in Annapolis since 1993. For a refreshing choice, call us at 888-84-WATER or visit us online. COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, is a lung disease that robs people of their ability to breathe. As many as 24 million Americans suffer from COPD, also known as chronic bronchitis or emphysema, and half of them don't know they have the disease. If you or someone you love is over 35 and has smoked more than 100 cigarettes in their lifetime, visit driveforcopd.org and take the screener, then take that to your doctor. I'm Jeff Stoltz, and I drive for COPD. Hi, I'm Ronnie Bassett Jr., and you're listening to the Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman alongside Tom Baker and Cisco Scaramuza on a Monday night talking racing and going to continue with our second special guest in a span of the last 20 minutes. We mentioned before the break, it's a new member 
of the Ford Racing family. And he's going to step up from the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series to the NASCAR Xfinity Series in 2018. By the way, Kaz Grala, I was looking at my notes today. You realize this is the first time we've had you on this show since you won the truck race at Daytona in February, right? That's not cool. <laughs> no, it's not. I guess I didn't uh, do anything special enough this year for you guys to have me call in, but I see how it is. <laughs> we we were beginning to think you didn't like us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so big news. Big, big news that came out at Homestead. And for you, uh, this is the next step in your career. Talk a little bit about how excited you are to be able to make the step up to the Xfinity Series. I mean, this is one of those moments where I saw the release come out that Friday of Homestead weekend, and I said to myself, wow, this is a really cool deal because we've obviously known you all the way back to your days running Bandolero and Legends cars. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge opportunity for me. Um, I can't thank James Whitener at JGL enough for giving me the chance because watching the Xfinity Series, I mean, I've watched that since I was really little, um, and I've watched it every year since then. So for it to be the, the series right under the cup level and, and to know I'll get to compete in the whole season, that's pretty special to me, and it's it's definitely a big dream come true. Trucks was the same way, but Xfinity is just even more so uh, special to me. So uh, it's also 10 races longer than trucks, which just gives me that much more time to get comfortable and, and adapted to these kinds of cars. So um, I'm looking really forward to it, and I'm extremely optimistic. They only missed the playoffs this year by a couple of points, and uh, switching to Ford and Roush Fenway Racing, it seems like they're really committed to improving their their uh, efforts, and, and I think we're going to be contenders. How did this all come about for you to get behind the wheel of that? I mean, did you actually seek that team? Did that team seek you? Was this a deal where you talked with several teams and this was just, you know, the, the opportunity you thought was the right one? Um, tell us exactly how this uh, came about for you. Well, um, actually, kind of interestingly, it connects back to what we started the interview with, was uh, my win at Daytona is what kind of kicked off these conversations because the team owner over at JGL, um, of course, he loves racing. He's into it. This is his golf game, and that's why he's in it. But his bread and butter is the plate track races. And so okay. I guess I piqued his interest when I won at Daytona, and, and he thought, all right, this, this kid knows how to plate race. And... JGL's got a, an extremely strong uh, plate track program, so um, I guess that's that's what kind of got us together. But uh, I was talking to a few different teams before I, I met with the team owner here because it only happened about a month ago. Um, but but as soon as I met with him, I saw how excited he was to try to get me on board with him and how committed he was. And at the end of the day, this industry is all about people. It's about effort. It's about working hard because uh, honestly. All of this stuff is a ton of work, no matter which position you're in sure. on the team. And so you have to be motivated and committed. And, <clears throat> and, and Mr. Whitener was extremely excited about the opportunity of having me drive. And uh, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. Well, it's certainly, as you mentioned, the association with Roush Fenway uh, and the switch to Ford is what would seem like a tremendous indication that 
this is this team is about to take a step forward so it seems like the timing for your partnership with them is just perfect you step in at a time when they're kind of growing and and transitioning to what looks like a really really good opportunity for you and i i see that uh i think at least that i read that this was a multi-year contract yes it it does have the option to be multiple years um so about august of next year i'll I'll know if, if i get to do a second year there but um i agree i think the timing on this has the potential to be perfect um Obviously, Toyota has been extremely aggressive in pursuing their driver pipeline, and it seems like right now, after the conversations I've had, that the Ford camp is is really motivated to to be the same way. And so I think it seems like a good time to to get my foot in the door there and and start getting a relationship with Ford, and and you never know where that can leave me. And um, JGL is exactly the same way. They're a relatively new team compared to some of the bigger teams in in the series, um, but but they've had a pretty steep uh, incline in in their performance. And next year, um, it really sounds to me like they're making all the right moves, alliance wise, personnel wise, um, investment wise, and I really think um, that that they're going to step up their program even more. And and as I said, they almost made the playoffs this year, and um, if they step it up more than this then then we're going to be real contenders in the playoffs and and hopefully be battling for the round of eight and and see if we can make it to homestead that, that'd be pretty pretty spectacular kaz is it exciting for you that you have this opportunity to really align yourself and help build with a team that is in a way trying to accomplish some of the same goals you are in the fact that they want to take some steps up the ladder and be at the at the uh, premier level in the Xfinity series. Absolutely. And uh, I think this is a decision I've kind of made before with GMS, which is um, we both have this, the same goal in mind. Um, some of the longer standing, more established teams, sure their performance is great, but whether I personally succeed or not is not really going to affect their long-term uh, growth in the sport. Whereas a team like JGL that's on the rise, um, they want me to succeed as much as them because it, it would be a mutual success for us. So um, I really think that this could be a match made in heaven, and hopefully we're able to get it done this year like I feel like we can. Now, the association with Roush Fenway that this team is going to have next year also affords you a pretty cool opportunity to work with some guys that, are also trying to do the same thing that you're doing in stepping up the ladder. What's it going to be like for you that you have the opportunity to kind of bounce ideas off of and really work somewhat closely with guys like Chase Briscoe, Ty Majeski, Ryan Reed, those guys over in the the main part at Roush Fenway who uh, you guys have the technical alliance with? It's going to be huge for me. Um, I'm able to go to all the meetings all the driver debriefs in between practices and fully utilize Roush Fenway as if I was on the team myself. Um, so I'm going to soak up all the information I can get over there, and um, hopefully that will just uh, increase the speed at which my learning curve goes away. So uh, like I said, this year in trucks, it was 23 races, um, 16 regular season races. And I felt like 
when the playoffs started, I was in playoff form. I was comfortable in the trucks. I could be aggressive and race hard and take everything I could get. And, and at the end of the day, that's what you need to be able to do in the playoffs. And so next year, with 26 regular season races, I feel like by playoff time, if we're fortunate enough to make it, um, I can really bring a lot to the table and, and be comfortable and, and hopefully race hard and, and get us into each round. And Kaz, you haven't, you know, gotten the opportunity to put on the fire suit, get in the car just yet, but between, you know, swap, swapping the closet of polos to the new polos and the button downs and everything else, what's, what's life for you day to day that's changed? Well, I mean, for now, um, we're in a lot of meetings trying to work out all the personnel we're going to have on the team next year. Um, with these new roster rules, that kind of shakes up our plans a little bit. And JGL is putting a lot of effort into grabbing new employees and, and seeing if they can <clears throat> get some guys with some different ideas to, to come in and, and bring what they have to the table. So it's been busy with meetings, um, but I think probably by January 1st, we're going to have everybody hired, everybody at the shop, and by that time I'll be going into the shop every day. What do you think uh, is going to be your biggest challenge from the truck series to the Xfinity series? And, uh, you've had a year in the trucks and now over to the Xfinity series. What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for you as far as the transition? Well, I think naturally every time you move up a level, the, the competition is going to get stiffer and, you know, this year, I'm racing Kyle Busch's apprentice in a Kyle Busch truck, whereas next year, I'm going to be dri driving against real Kyle Busch in a real Joe Gibbs racing race car. So it, it definitely amps up the intensity. But for me personally, I think just readjusting to the arrow of a car. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was used to it in K&N, and the, now I've kind of changed my my racing style for the trucks with as aero dependent as they are. And I'm going to have to kind of transition back. But, um, I think, like I said, with as long a regular season as, as there is in the series, I uh, am pretty confident that I'll, I'll be able to do so in, in a pretty good amount of time. And so what would be your goals for the upcoming season? What, what are you hoping to get out of the season in terms of, uh, season long goals? Have you thought about that yet? Yeah, I, I think uh, my my only goal is to make the playoffs. Uh, I don't want to set too high of expectations, but at the same time, uh, that's really important to me is to make the playoffs. So once we get there, then we can go for the cherry on top, which is trying to make it to Homestead. But um, for for now, let's let's just make that round of twelve, and I'll talk to you when I do. Kaz, you were talking earlier about the transition back to a car what are you most looking forward to about the transition into the xfinity series <clears throat> well the racing looks like a lot of fun i mean you, you look at the truck series racing and it's exciting it's awesome to watch because sometimes it gets a little bit rough but that's because the the arrow in the trucks especially in traffic is very very tricky to manage um, whereas in the xfinity cars uh, they've got they rely a lot less on the arrow, and therefore when you're in traffic and you're losing some air, uh, it's not as big of a swing. So you watch guys be able to drive right up on other cars' bumpers, kind of like in a late model race, I guess the Snowball Derby, since that just happened. It looks more like that kind of racing rather than just an arrow game fully. 
in the truck. So it, it looks like a really fun style of short track racing at higher speeds, I guess you could call it. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting to do that. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people I know that you need to thank, Kaz, not just for everything that you guys accomplished this year in the Truck Series, but going forward next year into the Xfinity Series with this new opportunity as well. So I'm going to let you have some time with your uh, big, long list here and uh, give some shout-outs to the people that you need to. Yeah, I mean, this year was was really fun and and very successful in the Truck Series, and uh, always be grateful to Mr. Gallagher and, and everyone at GMS Racing for, for giving me the chance to drive that truck because uh, it's definitely been the most fun season uh, of my career so far. And uh, Jerry Baxter, the crew chief, everyone on the team for working so hard and, and really putting our, our best foot forward in the playoffs. Even though the little blip on the radar at Talladega was a bad luck deal, um, we, we really came together and, and became strong in the playoffs. So that was really cool. But um, next year... Uh, I can't wait to see what it holds, and, and I'm so grateful for, for James Whitener giving me the opportunity to drive such a cool-looking car. Well, we're uh, grateful that you took a few minutes out of your schedule tonight to chat with us, Kaz. We know uh, it's going to get busy before too long because I know after Christmas you get to worry about college again, too, while you're working on the Xfinity Series. So that, that'll be fun to balance. <laughs> well, you know what, actually? I just talked to Georgia Tech today, and it sounds like they're willing to give me uh, another year deferment. So uh, I'm, I'm actually that's another another uh, entity to thank um, because I get to keep my acceptance status and uh, get to pursue and focus on racing for another year. So that's going to be fun. Well, uh, we're looking forward to seeing it, Kaz, and we're definitely looking forward to seeing you here after the first of the year as we get set to roll. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you back down here soon. Thank you so much. That's Kaz Grala. We're going to step aside when we come back more on the NASCAR Xfinity Series as we continue through this edition of Motorsports Madness. You're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network. We'll be right back. Okay, so Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's. Yep. And Josh, you're going to? Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice. Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep. And my dorky dad hat, and I'm going to do my dad dance for all your friends. They'll love it! Seriously? Why? Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time. It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time. What, what? No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed, ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive 
aggressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach. So call BSR today, 304-725-8444. Give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway. That's 304-725-8444. This is a test to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm NASCAR driver William Byron. You're listening to Motorsports Madness on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. We are back here on Motorsports Madness, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, and Cisco Scaramuza with you, talking racing for about two hours worth on a Monday night, and we're going to continue talking about a couple of points from our interview that we had with Kaz Grala in the previous segment, Tom. I think the biggest of which Kaz touched on somewhat, but... It's, I think it's a lot bigger than people maybe give it credit for right now. This JGL tie-up technical alliance with Roush Fenway Racing for 2018. We watched Ford really have a bit of a resurgence this season with Cole Custer's Stuart Haas Racing Xfinity program. And let me tell you what, if now adding JGL into a Roush Fenway alliance... Ford's not taking this lightly. They want to break Toyota's stranglehold on this series that they've had the last couple of years, and they're certainly putting a lot of good cards on the table to try and do it. Well, it's kind of an interesting situation. I mean, Roush doesn't have at least, well, let me let me rephrase that. Roush has one full-time Xfinity Driver. Driver, which is Ryan Reed. And Roush will have two full-time Xfinity cars next Mm -hmm. year with the addition of the 60 car that will have the trio of drivers that you mentioned earlier, Ty Majewski, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Sindrick Sindrick aboard for a a number of races apiece. The the entire race, or the entire season. Well, yeah, but dividing by X number of races. I think 11. I want to say 11 apiece. Is it even divided? Okay. I think. Um, So you now have what becomes sort of a satellite Roush Fenway entry, if you will, with JGL with Kaz. And, you know, it it will be interesting to see how that works out. I Mm -hmm. think, as Kaz said... You know, JGL wasn't that far from the playoffs this year. Right. Um, You know, I think that uh, this has the potential certainly to be a big thing for Kaz, Cisco. But I also think it's an interesting way for Roush to actually expand their Xfinity field without having to field a third car. Um, You know, I'm not sure any of those cars really are strong enough to compete uh, one-on-one with the Toyotas anywhere but the plate tracks. But um, then again, you know, who knows between now and next year, the off season, what Ford will come up with. I mean, I certainly think it's a win for everybody involved. 
it feels like there's almost like a, a little bit of blood in the water syndrome because once Chevrolet kind of lost that stranglehold that they had for so long on the top series, you know, Toyota came in and, you know, now, you know, through, you know, so much effort and hard work and money and everything, they've been able to find success. And Ford kind of saw the same thing in 2012 during during the COT era, but still that feeling that Chevrolet was still there with Tony Stewart, with Jimmy. So it feels like to me that Ford and Toyota are trying to basically take up all the real estate in this gap because you look at Chevrolet and outside junior motorsports, I'm going down the list. Well, I guess the CGR cars as well, but RCR. Yeah. CGR RCR and Xfinity too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's not the same level of, Chevy winning absolutely every week that we used to see back in the, you know, Martin Truex Jr. in the Bush Series days or something like that. So I just think for me, I just look at this series overall for next year and I see Toyota, Toyota on top with the Chevys being the next group of cars and maybe mm. obviously Cole Custer in the Ford, but that. I don't know if I really can see the Roush Fenway cars or Kaz and the JGL car necessarily running for a championship. I do think there's strength in numbers, though. And if Ford can step up their overall performance in the series with regard to Roush Fenway specifically, not so much, obviously, the Penske cars. But if Ford could get all of that together, then, yeah, we, we could definitely have some interesting racing next year. If they can find a way to get Penske, Roush Fenway, and all of their satellite teams on the same plane, then yeah, I definitely think this could be interesting. I think it could be very interesting. And I don't think we can undersell how big a step, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but legitimately how big a step this is going to be for Cavs. I mean, oh, of course. I, I, this came, I'll admit, kind of out of left field as far as I'm concerned, because I think we were all prepared for, and I think for a while, you listened to Kaz talk during the playoffs, I think he was prepared to come back for another year in the truck series. But, you know, when an opportunity comes out like this, Tom, and you have the opportunity to jump up to that level, obviously you're not going to turn it down. And it's going to be very interesting, I feel like, to see how quickly he can adapt to the Xfinity to the Xfinity car, as he said, back to the aerodynamics of a car next year. I always felt like he was more comfortable in K&N than necessarily he was at some of the truck races this year. So I think this could be a really good thing for him. Well, I mean, look, there's a big difference between driving a car and a truck as they're laid out there. And Kaz is a very articulate and very intelligent young man. He's very smart. He's very much a sponge. I think he'll be fine. If anything, I feel like the Xfinity car will be more in his wheelhouse, maybe even than the truck was. So I think this is a good situation for Kaz. It's a great situation for JGL because, again, they put themselves in a position with more technical help, better personnel, a better situation, and a driver who comes in very young, very hungry, and is willing to be part of this transitional situation. I mean, I feel like this is a this is a good opportunity for everybody involved, really. 
I agree. And as Kaz said, they were close to making the playoffs yeah. this year. And I believe if he gets comfortable with the team, I believe what he said. I think they'll have a shot to oh, make I the agree. playoffs. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I, although again, you know, you're going to have a couple of more Toyotas this year than what you had right. this past year. So you know, it's going to get harder See? to make the playoffs this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do have one more full-time JGR driver next year than what you had this year because you have two, uh, two in Brandon Jones and Christopher That's Bell right, instead of one. That's right, because Ryan Priest is not full-time. Correct. You are correct, yeah. Correct. So you have two full-time drivers and a car with Ryan Priest with a lot of races and a bunch of the cup guys. And I think yeah. now you have three JGR cars every week capable of winning a race. If Brandon Jones is able to rise to the car's capability, which we believe he will, that, that could that's going to be a tough, tough organization to stop. Yeah, just like it was back four or five yep. years ago when JGR was truly at their peak. So we're, we're going to step aside, and when we return, we'll move into our second half and we'll start talking about that little race that happened down in Florida over the weekend. The golden anniversary of the Snowball Derby coming up after this. You're listening to Motorsports Madness. And we're back with more on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network, right after this. When do you think of a plumber? Like most people? Even if it's an emergency, you can be confident about who will arrive to help you. For quality and reliability, count on someone you can trust. Call on the plumbing services of Hague Quality Water of Maryland. Plumbing doesn't have to be an emergency. We handle all kinds of preventative maintenance, too. Hague Quality Water of Maryland is family-owned here in Annapolis since 1993. For a refreshing choice, call us at 888-84-WATER or visit us online. Here at Lewis Meineke, we're more than just your average car care center. Hey, it's Dave, your neighbor from Lewis Meineke. Whether you need an oil change, brakes, tires, or anything under the hood, we've got you covered. Take advantage of our free check engine light service as well. Yes, free. And don't forget about our free shuttle service. Never stress, we'll take care of the rest. On with life. Give us a call at Lewis Meineke, 302-827-2054. Every 30 minutes, another innocent person is killed due to a drunk driver. My best friend. My brother. My poor grandchild. My sister. My father. My husband. My mom. <laughs> my mommy. Stop these tragedies before they happen. Don't drink and drive. Do you love the sound of high-revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skill levels new to intermediate to get sideways and smoking. With a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively, Summit Point Motorsports Park's Drift Nirvana is just the thing for you. Call for your reservation today, 304-725-8444. Or for more information, go online, summitpoint-raceway.com, or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. 
If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Spencer Davis, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show. Appropriate that one of the drivers who participated in the 50th running of the Snowball Derby brings us back to talk about the 50th running of the Snowball Derby as we go into the second half of Motorsports Madness here on PMN. Jacob Zielman, Tom Baker, Cisco Scaramuza with you around the round table talking racing on a Monday night. And Tom, the expected outcome, yes, Kyle Busch won the race. However, far from the expected path to get there, this was not a typical race where Kyle Busch dominated 150 or 200 laps of the Snowball Derby. Instead, he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and finally, with 17 laps to go, he passed not only one, but two of the best short track racers in America in Bubba Pollard and Jeff Choquette to win this race. Anybody who says that KB didn't earn every bit of that Tom Dawson trophy he took home, I got news for him. You weren't watching the same race that I was, and I was there. Well, I don't think there's any question that he earned it. I mean, certainly anytime you come from behind and pass the best in the business and win a race, you've earned it. Uh, you know, Kyle certainly got it done at the end of the race and for the second time was able to hoist that trophy, and I think he probably appreciated it more because – it was in his own equipment that um, the shop built rather than something that they purchased somewhere else. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really an interesting story when you have, you know, Kyle at the biggest race of the year and racing with the best in short track racing and coming out on top. You know, I think for Jeff Choquette and uh, Bubba Pollard and the rest of the field, you know, obviously disappointment because they didn't win, but certainly the fact that they were beaten by Kyle Busch, who, let's face facts here, is one of the best drivers in the business right now, no matter what he's running. Um, you know, certainly you can't be too mad at that. No, you can't be, Cisco. And this, for me, was a reversal of everything that the Snowball Derby has been the last seven years. It's been all about the teenagers, Chase Elliott. Eric Jones, John Hunter Nemechek, Christian Eckes. But yet at the end of 300 laps this go-round, it was Kyle Busch, mid-30s, 30-year-old Jeff Choquette, and 32-year-old Bubba Pollard. The veterans finally found their way back to the front of the biggest race in super late model racing. And who says saving your tires doesn't help you at all? But Ding! that's that's exactly what it was. It came down to those green flag runs, and it came down to these guys knowing how to save their equipment. And it's still one of the things that, you know, all the drivers that you named off of are all fantastic drivers. But, Tom, 
This is this is going your way, Mr. Driver Coach. The hardest thing to teach drivers is how to save their equipment. Well, it is. You're right. Dr- car and tire management in these long races, so many driver of these kids come from divisions where you run 15, 20, 30, 35 laps at a time. Um, I was watching an old Three Wide Life show over the weekend with Christopher Bell, and that was one of the things he talked about when he first came over to NASCAR to run the truck series even, was you know having to learn to manage the equipment. And Kyle Busch did that better than everybody else on the racetrack. Yes. That was... You know, everybody, well, his car didn't run worth a lick for most of the race. Well, maybe not. But on the last pit stop, they got the car right. Kyle sat back, waited till he knew that it was time to go, and basically just blew everybody away who had used up their tires. And that's that's a big deal. And, again, Kyle's experience running these long races really makes a difference here. And that's, that is a tough skill, especially, you know what, it's, it's, it's a tough ask physically to run 300 laps in a late model for some of these kids. I mean, gosh, some of them weigh barely over 100 pounds. Chandler Smith yeah. at 15. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, so the older guys have had the experience, and I think right. that pays in, in a lot of cases. And, you know, it's just um, it's cool to see the veterans finally get some time up front. And I know Choquette's got to be really, really disappointed. And it, Bubba Pollard would have uh, swept the weekend had he won. Exactly. He won on Saturday with the uh, snowflake. snowflake. But even yep. if you go back to the modified race on Friday, it was Augie Grill. Augie so Grill, the veterans yeah. really kind of stole the weekend. They ran the table. Yes, yeah. Augie Grill made a little history on Friday by becoming the first driver to win races during Snowball Derby weekend in his career in the modified pro late model and super late model classes that's three different divisions of the six that ran over the course of the weekend sorry seven that ran over the course of the weekend now saturday as you mentioned tom it was bubba pollard who dominated against jeff choquette in the snowflake 100 led 81 of 100 laps in that race i believe and Bubba doesn't run much pavement anymore. He's converted most of his racing time to running dirt. So to see him not only come back to the pavement, but to come back in a pro late model, which he really doesn't run much anymore, and win his second snowflake was kind of a big deal. Well, and I would argue, and I'll put my driver coach's hat on again, I would argue that his time on the dirt probably helped when he came back to the pavement and ran these shows because, you know, a dirt car basically is a loose car. You you get used to, it's a car control thing. You get back on pavement where you've got some grip and you think you're Superman. So you can push the car just that little bit harder, run it just a little bit looser, and looser is faster. And I would argue that that probably in some way, minor or major, played a part in the performance that Bubba had throughout this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, I found it interesting because, Tom, one of the storylines we talked about last week going into the Derby was the fact that Bubba Pollard has been snake bit in the Snowball Derby. He's done everything but win the race. It so seemed like Sunday was finally going to be his day. 155 of 300 laps led, and yet... One set of tires, unfortunately the last set of tires that they put on that did not agree with the handling of that race car, and he's forced to settle for third. A career best in the Derby, 
But when you're Bubba Pollard and you're so used to winning and you've come so close in this race how many times, third is no solace. This, honestly, I felt like watching it Sunday. This should have been Bubba's race. Yeah, well, that's why they run the Derby. Uh, you know, and it's one of those situations where third is no solace, but yet when you look at the field and you look at how much competition there is and how close the cars are and you mm-hmm. look at qualifying and the differential from first to 31st or whatever, yeah. I mean, it's... It's so hard to win a race like the Snowball Derby. Yes. So it's one of those things where as, as disappointed as I know Choquette and Bubba both must be, and as much as I'm sure a small part of them goes, gosh, can we get can we pay Bush to stay home next year? Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, you had a great run. You kept it clean. You finished in the top three. And like I said, it's hard to win these races yep. You know anymore. These, these super late models are all very tight. There's a lot of young, hungry drivers combined with these veterans. And, and um, you know, that's what's so glorious about a race like this. I think it is, as far as the South goes, I think this race is to the South, what the Oxford 250 is to the North. And my most impressive moment was actually a northern guy, Cassius Clark, finishing in the top five. I loved this story. I mean, that's story. just unbelievable. Yes. Cassius and King Racing did a ton, and this was a huge rebound for them. Keep in mind, before the Derby, the last race they had run was the Mason-Dixon Mega Meltdown at Hickory, where we waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for four days for their hauler to be cleared at the border, and they drove <laughs> 20 straight hours yeah. to make it in time to run the last chance race and qualify into the 300-lap feature. And in that race, he had gone from tail end Charlie up to fourth in 70 laps before running into some issues that unfortunately took him out of contention for the end of the race. Yeah. But, you know, they've had a ton of speed going down the stretch the last few races. And I felt like this run in the snowball was evidence of that. They, for me, were the most impressive team of that race. Yeah, and that's, to me, the best story is Cassius Clark. I mean, and you think about coming down from the north, and again, for those of you not too familiar with the New England racing region, super late models up north are called pro stocks, and they're all over the place. There are numbers of tracks that run them weekly. There are three or four really competitive series up there, including Pass North, which is where Cassius runs. And, you know, for him to come south and run against the drivers that he ran against down there at the snowball and finish fifth is extraordinary. And it's, it's performances like that, that to me yes. make a race like the snowball derby special. Yes. On the flip side of that Cisco, I think the thing that shocked us most was a qualifying on Friday, where the final transfer spot in on speed 30th was tied on by three different drivers at 16.660, and that defending Derby winner Christian Eckes not only had to use the champion's provisional just to make the race, he was never really a factor. He could never crack the top half of the field and got enough damage in the lap 91 big one that he just was never a factor. I was shocked at that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I texted you on Friday. I was like, what's going on? Because I was really befuddled. Not only that, but also the fact that Kyle Busch qualified 15th for the race as well. We were, yeah. we heard all this about TRD, you know, basically bringing the headquarters over and plopping it in uh, Pensacola there for a week. And at least before the race happened, we were like, uh, I mean, they're here, but they're not here, here. <laughs> At least right. until the end of the race. They're at the race, but they aren't in it yet. <laughs> they were in it by the end of it, and sure we are going to have much One of them. more derby conversation coming up later in the week here on PMN, including an exclusive interview with derby champion Kyle Busch, as well as both Jeff Choquette and Bubba Pollard, and talk on the Snowflake and the Modified Race as well. Right now, though, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we continue on Motorsports Madness. You're listening to PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. You own a performance car, and you know how to drive, but you want to learn real performance driving. Well, Bunky, get that car off the street and onto the track. Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier road racing facility, located just over an hour from D.C. in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, is the place to go, and you'll find that Friday at the track is going to give you what you need. For less than a monthly car payment, you can attend this regularly scheduled one-day instructional event in your street car on one of Summit Point's three world-class road racing circuits. You'll receive classroom instruction, skid pad instruction in their cars, including front and rear skid control, and four 20-minute in-your-car instructional sessions from a professional instructor. Have fun, go fast, and really learn how to drive. Call 304-725-8444 for class schedules and details. That's 304-725-8444. Friday at the track at Summit Point Motorsports Park. Every 30 minutes, another innocent person is killed due to a drunk driver. My best friend. My brother. My poor grandchild. My sister. My father. My husband. My mom. <laughs> My mommy. Stop these tragedies before they happen. Don't drink and drive. The Performance Motorsports Network is a compilation of shows about motorsports. From technical to controversial to just fun, everything you like about racing and gearhead stuff is right here on one internet channel. The Performance Motorsports Network. Tell your friends about it. Hi, I'm Reed Sorensen. Racing has been a part of me and my family for as long as I can remember. I had to make tough choices early on to get to the top. It took hard work and dedication, but it's those tough choices that helped me prepare for challenges I would face as a cup driver. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. Hi, I'm Tyler Dipple, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show. Let's be clear. Tyler Dipple was, in fact, partying by the end of the Snowball Derby weekend because he was able to claw his way from the last chance race to making it in the show 
to almost a top 10 finish in 11th, 11th Tom. Exact, yes. yes, that was a heck of a run for Rhett Jones, and they had an evil car for a lot of the weekend. I mean, Tyler was having to fight that thing through the corners. It was so loose. So to, for them to do what they did in his first derby, I was really, really happy for them. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, really, it was an impressive drive. Here again, you know, you you think about how hard it is to come from the back to the front Mm -hmm. in a race where 90% of the field is basically about as good as the other 10. Yeah, pretty Um, much. You know, I mean, if you make the race, in theory, you are about fast enough or good enough to somehow win it. It, Yeah, it's kind of like a plate race in a way. Yeah, but the hardest part is actually driving through the field because, again, the cars are so close, so tight, and generally the race is a lot messier than the other days was. Uh, Yesterday's race was actually fairly mundane (laughs) compared to Only two big wrecks, uh, and one of them on the backstretch, like I referenced, the lap 91 crash, humongous damage to Stephen Nassi, Preston Peltier, the pole sitter, who actually never let a lap all day. He got passed by Bubba right at the very start and could never get back to the point to lead a lap before he made a pit stop and was swept up in the mess. Uh, Logan Boyette almost flipped. Uh, You're going to hear that audio coming up later this week, Thursday, on the Stock Car Show at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Logan, (laughs) man, he, he talked to me afterwards and he was not only extremely disappointed, but he said that's the closest he's ever come to flipping in a race car, and it was a late model. He kind of had this ghost shock look on his face of what just happened here, guys. Uh, that car was destined for the scrap heap, as both he and Nassi said. So a tough break for them. And like we said, the later stage of the race dominated by the veterans, though Cisco, one driver that you and I had our eye on that was not a factor because tire strategy in the beginning of the race did not go his way was Ty Majeski, who obviously you're extremely familiar with through your iRacing connections. And he unfortunately got pinned two laps down, had a car faster than the leaders in the final 65 laps or so. But when you're two laps down at that point, there's just nothing you can do. Yeah, and... It's, you know, if if we were, you know, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. for Ty, it's it was a good run. They showed speed. He looked fairly content with the run, all considering, you know, looking at post-race stuff. I haven't had the opportunity to ask him about it yet. But nonetheless, just another case where Ty runs really well. And then for whatever reason, it falls away from him again. Yeah, I mean... So, such as 2017 for Ty Majeski outside of uh, winning the Midwest the Ar- Tour. Yeah, I, I was going to say the Midwest Tour again, uh, but this happened a lot like his ARCA races. He had plenty of speed, Tom. And, and his Xfinity races. No luck. Yeah, that's... Uh, again, how many other people in that race could say the same, mm-hmm. actually? But you're right, Ty... Ty's had one of those years... You just kept waiting for that moment, and it never really happened. Yeah, It wasn't his lack of performance. It wasn't the team's really lack of performance. It just never quite all came together in the Xfinity Series or the ARCA Series for him, really. And I hope what that means is next year he's going to sizzle. Yeah, Yeah. big. Make up for it. 
Did anybody notice that very quietly, very discreetly, Harrison Burton finished fourth in the Derby? Finally? I mean, well, you say finally, and as far as the Derby, that's true because... He just I think this was his third derby start, and he had never had a top five finish. Yeah, I think so. he was in the 20s, the other two, if I remember right. I Something so, along yes. those lines. Um, we talked about that last week. But, I, I mean, look, Harrison has been up front in everything he's run this year, with the exception of the truck. And you wouldn't expect that necessarily because... Well, hang on a minute. He got a top five at Martinsville. Well, that's right. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. He did finish the top five. Um, it He has just progressed so much this year on the track and off the track. And I think one has everything to do with the other. The more confidence he's gotten, the better the performance. And agreed, you know, he went down to the snowball derby, really believing that he had a chance to win it. And, you know, he's, I I think that made all the difference in the world for him. That was a good run for Harrison. And I think he's looking forward to, what he hopes, I'm sure, will be a winning 2018 season in multiple series. Yes, he and I were talking about this on Sunday before the race. They have no plans to run anything for points because really, other than another full season of K&N East, right. which doesn't really do anything for him no. at this point, there's nothing he can run full-time for points. He's not old enough to run ARCA. He's not old enough to run trucks, either of them full-time. Uh, so they're going to pick and choose the big races and go for a lot of trophies. And Harrison said, hey, we're going to be okay with that, and we're going to go out and show people why we race, and that's to win. So he's really, really excited about 2018. And I, if it's anything like this year, man, look out. It's kind of funny, Cisco, when you think about it. There was a time when you wouldn't think of seeing a 12- or 13-year-old in a late model, but you had this nice progression to where it just sort of went – Late model, ARCA, Bush, and Cup. They used to now, call it the ABC system. Yeah, the ABC system. But now, Cisco, you have so many of these drivers who progress so quickly through the quarter midget slash legend slash whatever else into late models that somebody like Harrison gets sort of caught in the middle of the the ladder between K&N, ARCA, and the NASCAR National Series to where he can't run for a championship at anything at the age of 17. Go figure. Yeah, it's... Except the label. The, the, the days of Dirt to Daytona are uh, long since past, or at least the linear scale of that is not quite what it used to be. Yeah, the progression, Jacob, is just... They, they progress so much quicker early yeah. that they're younger and younger when they're getting to that level. Right. So. You know, we saw it with, who was it, Noah Gregson, or no, who was uh, Justin, Justin Haley, Haley. That, yep. that couldn't technically run for a championship in the truck series this year. Because, without a waiver, yeah. Without a waiver, because he couldn't run Daytona and uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. And so we sort of see a similar situation with Harrison, where yep. he's sort of caught between rungs on the ladder, not because he's not good enough, but because the age says he can't. It's just something different that we deal with now because these kids are moving up so much quicker. Yeah, exactly. It's all about when your birthday falls. Yeah. I can't. I, I can't believe that uh, we're, we're saying that as a major factor. But this is the NASCAR and the sport of racing that we, we yeah. live in nowadays. So. Yeah. Now you're seeing 13-year-olds and late models all over the place. Yeah, Minnie Tyrrell comes to mind as one who actually started even younger than that. Than that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I want to shift gears back to NASCAR for a couple of minutes because one other interesting tidbit of news came out today, Tom, and it's one that I kind of perked my eyebrows up at and went, hey, we're going back to the old days. Andy Petrie has reunited (laughs) with Richard Childress Racing. He's going to be the vice president of competition for 2018, and when you talk about strengthening the racing side of RCR, I think this move is huge in trying to get them back to the competitive level that Richard and that whole operation know they should be at. Well, it's to me it's intriguing because I Andy's been around for so long. Yep. And yet the cars have changed so much over the years, but apparently they feel like he is able to sort of make that transition and you know certainly he's i think some of his background is in engineering yeah i I mean well and the thing about andy is first of all i mean you know there's a history there but then second of all i mean i think it's probably for him it's as much about working with the drivers as it is about you know necessarily working with the cars and you know, I think Andy would be excellent at that. He's mm-hmm. driven himself. He's owned cars. He's crew chiefed cars. Of course, former crew chief for Dale Earnhardt at one point. Um, you know, I think it's a good move, and, and I like Andy. Andy's one of yeah. the nicest gentlemen you'll ever meet in the sport. It's neat to see somebody like that going back and getting involved with, you know, one of the teams. And, and I just, I think it's a good move, and it'll be interesting to see how it works out from a competition standpoint. Yeah, and Cisco, Tom mentions he's a former crew chief for Dale Earnhardt at RCR. Uh, actually won both the 93 and 94 yeah. championships with Dale and the three crews. So it, it kind of brings it full circle, doesn't it, to see him come all the way back now over two decades later to RCR and kind of rekindle that relationship again. Yeah, I want to go go out and buy some GM Goodwrench parts and some squirty uh what square deep batteries <laughs> and uh, Bell South phone? How about that? Now that uh, we need to get Chocolate Myers back now on the fuel yeah. can. Now oh gosh, fuel, I know. Now the fuel guy doesn't have that... to do anything else. Chocolate may be able to go back and do it again. I think Chocolate's having too much fun on trading paint. Yeah, he probably is. Put those two in charge of RCR's social media account, and there you go. There's <laughs> oh my gosh! Right there. Yeah, that's a home run. For oh, sure. if you put if you put Chalk in charge of. RCR's social media, you might end up with a, a, a firestorm that would keep Twitter going for weeks. Yeah, there again, I mean, say what you will about RCR as an organization or whatever, a lot of people kind of malign them, but you know what? There are some of the truly nicest gentlemen and, and, and people in the sport in that group, and Andy Petrie only adds to that. I agree with that. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested honestly, to see how RCR is able to rebound. I mean, obviously, as far as RCR-affiliated teams, this not the only recent change that uh, they're going to have for the 2018 season, uh, sending over a new crew chief to the 13 of Ty Dillon for next year, Matt Borland going over from Paul Menard's team to the satellite team for Ty Dillon in 2018. I think that's a bigger move, Tom, than people may give it credit. Matt's been around a long time. He was really the one that was the driving force behind Ryan Newman in his early days at Penske. Well, I agree, and I think that's going to be a great move for Ty. And we still don't know yet what they're doing 
or not doing with the 27 car. So stay tuned for that because I still keep hearing that there could be an announcement shortly about a driver and a sponsor. <clears throat> yep. Just saying. Yep. We're going to step aside. More Motorsports Madness coming up on the other side of this break. You're listening to PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed, ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach. So call BSR today, 304-725-8444. Give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway. That's 304-725-8444. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes on Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America, featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Strope Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even Racecom Radio Kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing, making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop into HMS Motorsport. Visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you. Hi, this is John Andrasik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead, designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. I'm an HRA Pro Stock Racer, Tanner Gray, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Welcome back to the madness here on PMN. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, Cisco Scaramuza talking racing. And Tanner Gray offers a pretty good segue to go into our first big news item of this segment. Albeit, Tom, perhaps a little bit of a confusing one. I'm going to lay this out kind of verbatim from NHRA's media release this evening and 
see if we can make sense of all this. Basically, the premise of the rules change is that the NHRA will allow pro stock drivers to run any approved engine combination in any approved body, regardless of manufacturer, in the pro stock class next year in the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series, which includes Chevy Camaro, Ford Mustangs, or Dodge Darts. Now, I'm... Puzzled, I guess, would be the immediate word. It's They're trying to attract more entries, and yet you and I were discussing this before the show. I'm not entirely sure how this does that. <laughs> well, for, th- for those who are wondering, well, what does this really mean? Let me explain this. If you want to run a Chevy body and a Ford or a Dodge motor, you can. If you want to run a Ford body with a Chevy or a Dodge motor, you can. If you want to run a Dodge body with a Chevy or a Ford motor, you can. Basically, it's pick a body, pick a motor, and as long as it's a legal body and motor according to the rules, you can mix and match Cisco any way you like. So... I'm not sure how this, apparently the manufacturers were in on this. Now I wish they could do this in NASCAR. How cool would that be? Hey, this guy's running a Ford. Well, no, wait, it's a Chevy. I don't know if cool would be the right word. I think the Dodge brothers and Henry Ford are turning in their grave slightly after this (laughs) because I thought they would be terribly happy with that. But, I mean... We have the zombie dodge effect in the Xfinity series, and I guess you could sort of point to this as sort of the closest possible other sort of form of this, I guess. It makes it easier on the teams because, I mean, if you're going, if you're looking for like crate motors to build a motor, chances are, I would assume it's going to be easier to get a big block Chevy than anything else, or even like a Hellcat motor or something, so... I don't know. I really don't know what to say about this because I initially read the headline as any, not any uh, any approved. So I thought we were going to be seeing W16 Veyrons in NHRA, but sadly <laughs> we can't have that. Yeah, so I mean, bring a Bugatti from across the pond, Cisco? Across the pond? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In a moment. W16 I, supercharged drag racing? Come on. I just, I, I just think this is really interesting, and you know, Considering, I mean, let's read this correctly. It's the pro stock class that they're doing this in. You know, I know a couple of friends of mine who are very manufacturer loyal because they worked for one or the other of them. And it's just blasphemous to them to even see Toyota in NASCAR. And now you're going to have this deal in NHRA where you can mix and match between motor and body. I personally think it's cool. I just, I just am not sure how it allows more people to enter the, the class per se, because I would think Cisco that the costs on each of them are going to be similar. So I don't know really if that means more availability, more choice or whatever, but I do think it's going to be interesting to look at. Let me put it to you this way. When Mike Finnegan put a Hemi in a 55 Chevy Gasser and blew up the internet on Roadkill, people were mad. That was for Roadkill, an internet TV show. This is NHRA, the leading drag racing sanctioning body in the United States today. 
I'll, I'll let you. I'll let that sink in because I know that there are going to be people who are turning up the the gas oil, the oil lamps, and the pitchforks already, getting ready to march down to <laughs> NHRA corporate center. Yeah, somebody in Glendora, California, is going to have a knock on their door <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't. Um, like I said, I think it's cool. I mean, I think it'll be fun to see how many of each body and each motor we end up with. You know, Chevy's kind of been the, you know, the body of choice. So, you know, why not bring the Mustang or, you know, why not bring a Dodge Dart in? I can't wait to see the Mustang, honestly. See, I want to see both. I, well, we've had the Dodge uh, here even as recently as this year with Alan Johnson and a couple of the well, other teams. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but the Ford Mustang, the new, Ford, the new Ford Mustang has not been run in right. NHRA Pro Stock competition. That's what I'm most looking forward to because those cars, Cisco, look so good. Yes, they do, and... I think they're making up a little bit for uh, Ford's entry in the uh, in the Cup Series right now, which I would I would argue is probably with the new Camaro coming in, probably the least aggressive one. The Ford mm-hmm. in NHRA mm-hmm. is amazing, I will say, and uh, I'm just waiting for if if we can swap that to any, so I can show up in like a Kia Stinger. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> James was talking about the Kia Stinger ending up in the Australian Supercars Championship. So, you know, why See, not that drag would be racing? Cool. Yeah. That would be cool. be cool. Second news item, uh, of which we've now multiplied to three on the NHRA side, but this one really, really piques my interest because I think it's going to add one more championship contender. Clay Milliken is getting a brand-new top-fuel chassis, Tom, for the 2018 season from Don Schumacher Racing. Hello. Hello. Yeah, that's uh that's a pretty big change and they had run Hadman chassis for years. Yeah, that's a really, really big change. Again, I, I love this because it's something fresh to pay attention to going into the next season. And Clay Milliken, oh by the way, won his first ever national he event did. at Bristol earlier this year. We saw how good the DSR cars in the Nitro classes were during the regular season. Clay Milliken is a hungry race car driver. I can only imagine. I mean, he performed all the way through the end of the year and had speed in the countdown with a new DSR car. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, that's We it. could be talking about championship contender here. Well, and I hope so because again, Clay's one of the the real uh, in a in a part of the sport that has a ton of personalities. Yeah. Clay certainly is among them. And, you know, I would really like to see him run for the championship. I think he certainly, from a driving standpoint, is more than capable. I agree with that. Now, third point, and this is another really big NHRA offseason change. Mike Neff has left John Force Racing. Oh, look at this. We're playing the musical chairs game again. Yep. To go back home across the street. To Don Schumacher Racing, where he started his career, by the way, and become crew chief, not for a funny car, but for Tony Schumacher's U.S. Army top fuel team. Now, I don't know if Mike Neff has any prior experience tuning a top fuel dragster, but if if it's anything like his funny car abilities... This could be scary. Point blank, this could be scary. Well, I mean, I would assume that a lot of it's translatable. Um, 
what I find interesting is it's kind of like, hey, uh, so, yeah, Don, um, just, you know, hang on for a second. I'll be right back. And then how many years later? <laughs> yeah, hey, can I come home the now? Door. Yeah, uh, and it's like, oh, okay, he's back. And, you know, Cisco, this is really honestly going to be curious to watch, but I I suspect it won't be much of an adjustment for Mike. And, you know, again, the way that these teams in NHRA in those divisions seem to swap crew chiefs, and, and it seems like with John Force Racing, you see him come and go, and, and Schumacher the same. It's almost just like it's not that big of a deal, really. There's so much talent there. I will say, though, John Force... John Force just got done winning a whole, you know, championship in this. And now to see one of their crew chiefs, ah, I'm going to go join the enemy, the enemy team now. I mean, Again. we're talking about what is essentially the Chip Ganassi and Roger Penske of drag rig racing right here. And in a series that JFR has just won the championship, they see one of their assets going to help yeah. one of the strongest competitors to their team, Jacob. It's I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a plant. Maybe it's all one big conspiracy. Who knows? <laughs> Perhaps. But you know what's interesting here is of all the major crew chiefs at John Force Racing, I think the one that wasn't really talked about all season was Mike Neff. You heard talk all year about Alan Johnson with Brittany Force mm-hmm. on the top fuel side. You heard talk all year about uh, Jimmy Prock with Robert Height, who won the championship, you didn't really hear anything about Mike Neff this year. He was just kind of quietly in the shadows a little bit. I'm not sure if this is as crucial a loss as it might appear to be. We'll just have to wait and see as far as the engineering and the technical side what happens from there, especially because he's not going to work on a funny car. He's going to work on a top fuel dragster so uh, i i really don't know you said some of it's translatable i'm not sure as much of it is as translatable as you know what you might say from nascar team to nascar team i will i mean i i don't i mean they're obviously different cars but you know it's still nhra drag racing mm-hmm. and the design is still you know to get down the the, the strip faster than the next guy and yeah. you know i will be just i will be interested to see who steps into that role at JFR Yeah, and, you know, whether or not that performance can continue at the level it was at rather than, um, you know, I'm not too worried about Mike performing well with the new team. I think he'll be just fine. It's who steps up and takes his place with John Force. Yeah. That's not exactly a low profile, small stage over there. Oh, by the way. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Now, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to hit on one more news item from the open wheel side of things. And then we're going to go into a couple of lightning round questions. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, the white flag after this on the Performance Motorsports Network. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. 
automotive technicians, and auto service trainees. How would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes on Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. How to deal with someone who says that's so gay. Outsmart them. This party is, like, so gay. Totally. Excuse me, but did you ladies know the word gay used to mean happy or excited? Then it became a word used to describe gay people. Then somehow it came to mean dumb or stupid, which is how you just used it, which is not very nice. Ew, that guy is on the football team and super smart, and he totally hates us now. Totally. When you say that's so gay, do you realize what you say? Knock it off. Learn more at thinkbeforeyouspeak.com. Hi, I'm Tyler Reddick, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness, our final segment, the white flag segment here on PMN. Jacob's going alongside Cisco Scaramuza and Tom Baker. And before we go into a few lightning round questions here, want to talk about one more big news item that fell out of the Formula One woodwork over the weekend, Cisco. And after about six decades worth, roughly, Alfa Romeo returns to Formula One with Sauber. Yes, things are looking very red at Sauber, and it's not because of Ferrari for once. And it's weird for me because long, long ago, I read a book about Enzo Ferrari and his involvement in F1, and that's where he got his start was working with Alfa Romeo. So it's kind of odd for me to see Alfa Romeo in the sport today as a direct competitor for to Ferrari. I think Enzo would be livid right now if he was still with us. But nonetheless, it's a cool move. The car looks great. And it's more manufacturers getting involved in F1, which has kind of been so far the theme of the silly season here. Yeah, it really has been. And let's clarify that this is a title sponsorship deal with the Sauber F1 team, Tom. They're going to basically be the Ferrari B team in 2018, as evidenced by F2 Ferrari racer Charles Leclerc, who is stepping up to the main game for 2018. And Charles, one of the young guns, we're seeing the youth movement even invade Formula One, but 
this is big. Alfa Romeo was part of Formula One as a constructor and engine supplier from 1950, the very beginning of the championship, all the way up to 1987. And they actually won a couple of championships very early on uh, in both uh, 50 and 51 with uh, Giuseppe Farina, who won the inaugural championship in 1950, and then Juan Manuel Fangio, who won the 51 championship, his first of five titles. So this is a nameplate that has a long, long history in Formula One racing, and to see them back in 2018, I think, speaks volumes about where the championship is headed. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we need to just let some of this play out before we really get too awful excited about it, but I do like seeing Alfa Romeo back, and I like seeing another young driver like Charles Leclerc getting an opportunity. Formula One is going to eventually need to, you know, the, the the veterans are all going to eventually retire. And if we don't start getting some much younger blood into the sport, we're not going to have any drivers left. So right. I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm excited to see where it's going. It's good to see teams like Sauber being able to make some moves and hopefully improve and, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to uh, to see how this all works out. But I like seeing Alfa Romeo back, and Cisco is right. Definitely a lot of red going on over there. Yes, there is. I love the concept delivery that they unveiled when they made the Alfa Romeo announcement for the 2018 season. So sure. it's going to be good to see how that all shakes out. Let's go into our lightning round, shall we? Uh, and this first one isn't necessarily a fill-in-the-blank type of a question, but it it's I think offers some interesting discussion because one of the recent famed celebrations, victory celebrations, at the Snowball Derby has been the traditional kiss of the Golden Snowball atop the Tom Dawson Trophy, of which I had a uh, photo in our race report on racechaseronline.com of Kyle Busch performing that traditional victory lane kiss. So it kind of inspired this first lightning round question. What is your favorite or most memorable, whatever term you want to use, victory lane celebration in racing? Tom, you can start. Oh, wow. There have been so many. I mean... I feel like the ones that I remember the most are the ones where there's a lot of emotion. You know, you think about Kaz Grala, who we had on the show earlier. You think about him at Daytona last year and how just flat surprised that that he was, that he was standing in victory lane at 18 years old at Daytona after the truck series race. I think about Jamie McMurray's emotion after he won at Daytona. I think about... DW doing the icky shuffle in Daytona. I think about Jeff Gordon at Charlotte, his first, you know, big win. You know, those are the ones that I seem to remember. But I think if you want to what was the most entertaining, I think probably DW's icky shuffle was as good as any. (laughs) I wanted to tell the 500. I wanted to tell the 500. You know, I mean, that was and that was genuine. That's that was just DW being DW. Yeah, Cisco. I'd have to go with traditions, and for me, the tradition that stuck out the most to me is Elio climbing the fence when he wins. 
I love that. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. Or for, Tony for me, climbing the fence. Yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony's <laughs> done it too, but Elio started it. And yeah. For me, that's one of those traditions that we're not going to be able to see for a whole lot longer. To not, be fair. Well, and, maybe not in IndyCar racing, but let's keep in mind there's a, a kid by the name yeah. of Noah Gregson who uh, did a pretty good fence climb when he won at Martinsville, and I was told point blank that had he won the Snowball Derby on Sunday, Noah was going to climb the fence. Yeah, but in terms of Elio doing it, right, you know, right, he's going right. to have you know one more 500. So he'll have to knows, do it but... sports cars now. Yeah, yeah he'll have After to do he it for wins the Rolex. Cars, I guess. <laughs> Oh, gosh, you're right. I hadn't even thought about the fact that that was a possibility in yeah. January. Sure. Wow. Yeah. I mean, let's see what he does after he wins the Rolex. Now, for me, Cisco mentioned the word tradition, and my favorite victory lane celebration does fall under the category of tradition. Drinking the milk at the Indianapolis oh, well, 500. Yeah. Um, that, for me, was something that was such a novel concept back in the 30s when they first introduced it, and it's something that's withstood the test of time all the way through, and I just, it's iconic. And for me, it's one that every year, no matter who does it, it sticks in your head as a moment that you don't forget. I was always a fan of Emerson Fittipaldi, and I, I once had a chance to do about 45 minutes worth of an interview with with Emmo. When he refused to drink the milk, it was like, no! I mean, shoot, if I won the Indy 500, I would chug that first gallon down like it was like, wait a minute, give me another one. You know, I mean, <laughs> I see him, you know, throwing it on top of their head. It's like, don't waste that good milk. Um, you know, make mine a chocolate. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. That is, that's, I kind of thought where you were going was the entertainment or what, what single celebration stuck out to you um, yeah. as opposed to, um, you know, the tradition of a celebration, certainly Indy would yeah. have to be. There's nothing like Indy Victory Lane. I'm right. sorry. And I want to add that close. Bill Holt behind the glass in the producer's chair said his favorite Victory Lane celebration was Michael Waltrip's celebration uh, alongside Dale Earnhardt Jr. after the 2001 Pepsi 400 because obviously Michael won the Daytona 500 earlier in that year, wasn't really able to celebrate it. And I think that's another one, uh, Bill, good call there as one of the iconic celebrations in all of sports. Now, uh, next lightning round question. Blank will be the dominant manufacturer in NASCAR in 2018? All of the above. I Really? Don't, yeah, I mean, if we're talking cup, I believe it's going to be much closer next year. Ford's not going to lose anything. Everybody's acting like Ford's going to run in the back because Toyota was so good this year, and now we have a Chevy Camaro coming out. I think the Chevys will certainly improve. I believe that with everything in me. I think you're going to see. But I don't think that makes the Fords less. I mean, I just think that the Ford teams need to get their act together. People forget that you look over the course of the season, Joey Logano is usually one of the best teams in all of whatever sponsor the Cup Series has that year. And they couldn't get out of their own way this year. Yeah. If you can get Penske back on top of their game, improve Roush just a little bit more, and Stuart Haas improves, you've got Almirola over there now, mm. and you know we believe Kurt Busch is still going to be in the 41, although the more time goes on, the more I sort of wonder, could we see Matt Kenseth in that car? Um, you know, I, 
I just I feel like this has the chance to be one of the most even seasons across the board manufacturer wise in cup that we've had in a long time. Cisco. I'm not buying it, and apparently I'm just going to make enemies out of all three of the fanboys of, or all the fanboys of the big three manufacturers. Toyota. Okay, don't hurt me. I'm not. I'm not. Don't yell at me. <laughs> but I, I what Tom? What's your turn of phrase that you used? I think for the last four weeks of the of the uh, NASCAR season, I buy what I see. I believe what like I that. see. I believe what I see. I. There's. They were so good. They were so so good, yeah. but there were two of them that were so good. Yes, but they the seventy-eight were so, and the eighteen. So <laughs> I just I feel like next year is going to be a, a more even playing field. I yeah. also believe that with the re- replacement drivers at Hendrick, you're going to see a whole different Hendrick Motorsports next year. I agree that you are. Bill says Chevy is going to be the dominant manufacturer in NASCAR next year, and I agree with him especially with the new Camaro in the Cup Series. I believe the aero updates they've made with the ZL1 is going to put Chevy on the same plane as Toyota, and it is going to be a knockdown, drag-out war between the bow ties and the Toyotas for 2018. I think it's going to be very fun to watch, and I agree to your point, Tom, that I think we're going to see a very different, very exciting Hendrick Motorsports in 2018. And I don't want to diminish Junior or, right. or Casey Kane. That's not what I'm saying. New blood. William Byron, Alex Bowman, very young, aggressive, passionate racers. Yes. I just think that alone raises the bar, at least for a yes. little while. Third and final lightning round question. This one we're going to have a little bit of fun with because the annual NASCAR Touring Series and then the NASCAR Xfinity and Camping World Truck Series banquets are this Friday and Saturday here at the Charlotte Convention Center. So our third and final lightning round question is this. Blank will win the award for best speech at the banquets this weekend. Hashtag not Brian France. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Shots fired. Cisco. I was going to say uh, the head chef who who apparently uh, I was going to say the head chef so that they don't have the same food that they had at the champions banquet because holy cow. No. Um, best speech. I mean, they're not going to give Ken Schrader the mic. We can't we can't have it like how we had at Arca. So um, I think junior as full owner slash TV personality as. Suit and tie Jr. is going to give the best speech. Does he get to speak? I think the driver's car owner gets to speak at some point during the banquet. So, yeah, he'll, I'll buy that. at least he'll give the best interview. I'll say that. Because yes. it's going to be, oh, this is, you know, this is administrative Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's my answer. And it was cemented even more so by the impromptu game of football And the ensuing harassment that I got dished out on Sunday after the chapel service and before driver introductions at the Snowball Derby. This is a no-brainer. And I know he's listening, and I'll get a text after the show about this. Harrison Burton will get the award for best speech during this weekend's banquets. Why? Because the boy oozes entertainment. He is just owned every interview not only on this show but that he has given 
this season, and it's going to be classic. I know a little bit. It's going to be classic. We got to throw a checkered flag on this edition of Motorsports Madness. I hate it. Bill's making us go away. Live on Instagram. It's Harrison Burton's speech. <laughs> Thanks to Mike Garrity, Megan Cole, our social media partners at Three Wide Life, as well as Bob Steele, Susan Mason. Again, Bill Holt behind the glass and all the folks at PMN that make Hi, this Bill. show possible. So for Tom Baker and Cisco Scaramuza, I'm Jacob Suman reminding you to check out racechaseronline.com where we give you your motorsports your way every day. And remind you that we'll be back next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern here for another round of Motorsports Madness on the Performance Motorsports Network. Keep it off the wall, and we might just see you somewhere at a racetrack, folks, till we meet again. You've been listening to Motorsports Madness with the Race Chaser Online crew. Stay tuned to Performance Motorsports Network for more race talk. For the latest motorsports news, visit racechaseronline.com. Motorsports Madness is a copyrighted production of the Performance Motorsports Network, www.performancemotorsportsnetwork.com. A member of the Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated and may not be rebroadcast, replicated, or saved in any media without the explicit written permission of PMN. Check out our Facebook page or our section of the PMN website. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, co-hosts, and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the management and ownership of either the Performance Motorsports Network or Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated, the advertisers, or the marketing partners. Be listening again next week when the madness returns on Monday night at 7 Eastern. Until then, keep it off the wall and keep the shiny side up.